Welcome to Straight Up Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Schaefer. In today's episode, we're going to talk about, we're going to recap the NFL, talk about some of the disappointing teams like the Eagles and the Giants, as well as Lamar Jackson getting his first win as an NFL quarterback. We'll also talk about the NBA, break it down a little bit with the Washington Wizards looking like they're going to break their team up. Talk about my guy, Carmelo Anthony, and what team I think he might end up with and what he should do going forward. We'll also get a little bit into the college football playoff. And we're also going to talk NHL, the quarter mark. We are there. You know, it's time to pick pretenders or contenders for, for this year in the NHL. But we're going to start with the NFL. Uh, it was obviously an important week last week for a lot of teams. The most important games, uh, Philadelphia, we'll start with the Eagles. They absolutely got embarrassed by the Saints, 48-7. to uh, The Eagles, you know, they're on a big Super Bowl hangover. They're now 4-6. and six. I think their season is over. Even though Washington's Alex Smith got injured, had a Joe Theismann-type injury, and we all hope he gets better, obviously, I still don't see how the Eagles are going to find a way back into the, into the postseason. It's going to be very, very difficult for them. You know, obviously, their running game hasn't been the greatest, you know, and their defense hasn't really done much. They're giving up 48 points to the Saints, who are a great offensive team. But Carson went through three interceptions yesterday, only 156 yards. Drew Brees throws for four touchdowns. Mark Ingram over 100 yards rushing. Just no balance on offense for the Eagles. And the Saints go to 9-1, and one, and now the Saints look like they're in the driver's seat to get to the NFC Championship game. That was my first takeaway. My second takeaway was that the Giants are actually playing now. I mean, they, they beat Tampa Bay this week, and the Giants now are 3-7. and seven. And, you know, people are ruling out the Giants. I am also. But some Giants fans may say, hey, listen, Washington has no Alex Smith. He's out for the season. You know, Dallas hasn't looked great. Philly hasn't looked great. Why not us? You know, Eli Manning threw one incompletion yesterday and threw two touchdowns. Saquon Barkley had 142 yards and two touchdowns. Now, granted, they beat a bad Tampa Bay team. And a bad San Francisco team. So they didn't really play quality opponents. But the Giants are saying, why not us? You know, and obviously it, it's been a tumultuous time for them with Eli Manning and the offensive line and, and all the issues they've had going on this year. The Giants players are thinking, why not us? But as a football fan, I can just tell you they have no chance of making the playoffs and they're only hurting their draft stock. They're only hurting their chances of getting Justin Herbert, who will be the number one quarterback in the draft, the kid out of Oregon, when he decides to go pro. He's got an excellent arm. He's a big read-pass option quarterback, you know, in the Marcus Mariota type of system. It's a little bit different because the coaching staff's different, but it's very similar. And, um, you know, Eli Manning is getting older, obviously, and they need a quarterback. There's no question they need offensive line help. And I, the, by the Giants winning, they're just hurting their draft stock. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy for the Giants that they're actually winning for the players, but for the fans, I, I'm not sure what to think. My third takeaway was, was Lamar Jackson. I mean, Lamar Jackson got his first win as quarterback of the Ravens. Joe Flacco was inactive with an injury. And this is the future of of the Ravens, is, is Joe Flacco. I mean, is uh, Lamar Jackson, excuse me. And, you know, they beat Cincinnati 24-21. Jackson... 13 of 19 for 150 and a pick. Not the greatest thing, but he had 117 yards on the ground, and that's important for him. And Lamar Jackson did play the entire game. RG3 did not 
go on the field. Joe Flacco, as I said, was inactive, and they beat a Cincinnati team that was 4-1 and one and is now 5-5. Five and five. So that was a big divisional game for Baltimore to get that win. I mean, Andy Dalton had a, an okay game through for 211 yards and two touchdowns. Nothing exciting. You know, the Cincinnati's running game only had 48 yards, so Baltimore obviously did very well in terms of their run defense. And really the biggest difference was Baltimore's running game. They had 265 rushing yards. They had 200-yard rushers in Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards. So give Baltimore's offensive line a lot of credit for creating the room for those two players. And my third takeaway is Monday Night Football is going to be a great game. You know, my fourth takeaway, excuse me, is going to be a great game between Kansas City and L.A. The game was supposed to be played in Mexico City, but the field conditions were not great. So now the game is being played in L.A., so... They're going to have a whole big ceremony for all the firefighters and first responders and the wildfires that are going on out in California. So that should be exciting for the fans and for the first responders as well. Uh, I'm going to take the Rams in this game just because they're at home. It's an emotional time. I mean, Kansas City is a great team, and this could be a preview of the Super Bowl. Um, but I just don't think Kansas City's defense is going to be able to get enough stops against L.A. L.A.'s got too many good defensive players. Dominican Sue, Aqib Tlaib, Marcus Peters, Dante Fowler. You know, Aaron Donald. I mean, they just have too many defensive playmakers for me. I think Mahomes is a fantastic quarterback. Kareem Hunt's a great running back. Tyreek Hill's a great receiver. They also got Travis Kelsey. But I just think the Rams are too strong defensively. And I think they. I think it, I think it does become a high-scoring game. But I think the Rams will pull it out and go to 10-1, and one, and Kansas City will fall to 9-2. and two. So that's, that's my quick little recap there of the NFL. Most of the podcast, I, I want to talk about the NBA because there's a lot going on in the last couple of weeks. Uh, in particular, with Golden State, you know, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. I'll give a little context. Basically, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant and Golden State were playing the Clippers. No Steph Curry. He's still out with an injury. And there was about five seconds to go. Kevin Durant was seen clapping for the ball. Draymond Green fell over his feet, didn't give Kevin Durant the ball. And they got in an argument on the bench. Draymond Green basically said, you know, to Kevin Durant, you're half in, half out. You know, you're free agency. You know, why don't you just sign the deal and stay here? And Kevin Durant said, we can't talk about this right now. We're in the middle of a game. And Draymond Green said, F the game. You know, like Draymond took it very seriously because Draymond's the one that recruited Kevin Durant to Golden State. So now the question becomes, is Kevin Durant going to stay? Is he going to go? What's he going to do? Look, Kevin Durant is going to do what's best for Kevin Durant, not what's best for Golden State, not what's best for any team. If Kevin Durant wants to win, he'll stay in Golden State or he'll go to a team like the Lakers. Right? If he goes to the Lakers with LeBron James and then somehow they get Anthony Davis, they're automatically the team to beat and they'll probably win the next five championships. The other rumored teams that are going to be in the mix are teams like the Knicks, the Wizards because of their hometown. Now the Wizards are probably out of it because of everything that's gone on. I think Brooklyn will probably get a conversation. I'm sure he'll talk to Boston and Philly. But in the end, it really comes down to Golden State, the Lakers, and the Knicks. Those are really the three teams. And I think most people are pretty convinced that he's going to leave Golden State. So that narrows it down to the Lakers and the Knicks. Now, the difference is the Lakers have LeBron, so Kevin Durant's not really the guy. Kevin Durant would not be the guy until LeBron James starts to fade. 
Now, you could make the argument that Kevin Durant could become the Kyrie Irving to LeBron, meaning he takes all the big shots at the end of the games, like Kyrie did when they won the finals in 2016 in Cleveland. So you could make that argument. If Kevin Durant were to come to New York, he's not coming alone. He's not going to come on his own because the Knicks would, would they be a good team. They st- he still needs more. He's going to need a point guard. He's going to need another star. You know, he's going to need someone like a Kyrie Irving or possibly, you know, uh, an Anthony Davis. You know, he needs somebody to come with him to New York. The Knicks realistically think they have a chance. And being a Knicks fan, I think they have a chance, but I think he ends up with the Lakers because LeBron James is that guy. And when if you if you gave Kevin Durant two choices, you could play with LeBron James and possibly Anthony Davis in LA, or go to New York with Porzingis, who's coming off a torn ACL, Kevin Knox, who looks a little lost right now and he is a rookie, you know. And maybe you get Kyrie Irving, if you're lucky, which is unlikely at this point, considering he said he was going to re-sign in Boston. You know, you're, the, the guy you're most likely going to get is somebody like Kemba Walker or Jimmy Butler. I think I'd go to L.A. every time. I mean, you could win five championships there. LeBron can retire after his contract. And then you're the guy at 35 years old with Anthony Davis. So... I, I think Kevin Durant is going to end up with the Lakers. I think it'll be a bad look for him, you know, because a lot of the fans have him as a soft player. You know, he leaves Oklahoma City to go to Golden State. Now he's going to leave Golden State to go to the Lakers. I mean, it, it's just not really a good look for him in terms of his image. But when it's all said and done in 15 years, he's still going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's probably going to be one of the top 10 scorers of all time. You know, he's going to be remembered as one of the greatest to ever play the game because he's won a championship. You can make the argument that the Golden State's last two titles would not have been won if it wasn't for him. So, you know, I, th- I think Kevin Durant's going to make the decision that's best for Kevin Durant, and I happen to believe that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, I want to focus on um, another drama situation, and that's the Washington Wizards. So an article came out today saying that the Wizards are open to moving everyone on their roster, and that includes John Wall and Bradley Beal. These two guys came out and said they were one of the best backcourts in the NBA, maybe the best. I don't think anyone believed they were the best backcourt in the NBA. Top five, sure. I think you can certainly make that case. Not the best backcourt. They're not better than Curry and Thompson. I don't think they're as good as Lillard and McCollum. So I think there's other backcourts that might be better than them. Now they're 5-11, and 11, and it sounds like the ownership group and the management group there want to kind of rebuild. So John Wall is going to be available. John Wall obviously has made all-star games. The issue with John Wall is that he has a pretty big contract, and it's very difficult to eat those kinds of contracts midseason. So my personal opinion is I don't think John Wall gets moved unless the Wizards eat at least 70 to 75% of his contract, then there's a possibility they could move him to a team that could use a point guard. Now, a lot of a lot of my listeners here, I know a lot of you guys are Knicks fans. The Knicks are not getting John Wall. Okay, first of all, John Wall is one of the worst shooting point guards in the NBA. And to be and John Wall is also very ball dominant. And we've seen how this works with ball-dominant point guards. Westbrook hasn't won a championship. Damian Lillard hasn't won a championship. You know, a lot of the ball-dominant guys don't win. 
A lot of them don't. And, you know, Carmelo Anthony hasn't won either. And I don't think John Wall is a championship-winning point guard. I just, I don't believe in that. I think he's an athletic player who's got a ton of speed. And, you know, he's an okay defender. And his biggest problem is he can't shoot. And guys leave him open all the time, and he can't hit anything. Now, he's gotten better since his rookie year, but I'm not going to sit here and say he's a great shooter. And that's a problem. Because in today's NBA, you've got to be able to you know, shoot and be a threat. So I'm not so sure John Wall's going to get a lot of takers, especially with the contract. Bradley Beal's a different story. Bradley Beal is young. He's a great shooter. I think he's a really good, you know, third option, second or third option on a team. Probably more like a third option on a team. Uh, obviously, he's made the All-Star game. I think the concern with him is injuries. He's been hurt a lot um, in his career. And, you know... But I think teams will come after him. Anyone that needs shooting will come after him. I think any team that needs to move along to rebuild a little bit, I think that's an option. I still think the team that Bradley Beal could possibly end up on is the Lakers. Now, I I know that sounds crazy, but what I just said before, putting LeBron with AD and Duran and, and Beal. But think about it this way. The Lakers have a lot to offer Washington right now. They could give up Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Michael Beasley. That's financially how it would work out. Plus probably a first-round pick, probably this year's first-round pick for Bradley Beal. And Bradley Beal improves their two position, because right now their starting shooting guard is Josh, Josh Hart. Um, Bradley Beal makes them a much better offensive team and a much better shooting team. Because the Lakers don't have shooting. And Bradley Beal would cure a lot of things. Now, Bradley Beal also fights on the defensive end, which is something the Lakers also need. Now, you said, why would you trade Lonzo Ball? He's the future point guard. Lonzo Ball really hasn't been that great. Lonzo Ball is not a great shooter. He's not confident right now. I think there's a lot of pressure on Lonzo Ball. He was the number two pick in the draft. He's from L.A. His father puts pressure on him. Not recently, but he, he has in the past. You know, you got the best point guard in Lakers history sitting above him in Magic Johnson. There's a lot of pressure on Lonzo Ball. And I think if Lonzo Ball were to leave L.A. and go somewhere else, I think he might be better off and he might succeed a lot, a lot easier than he would if he was in L.A. with all the pressure. You know, Brandon Ingram is a guy who... Hasn't really worked out. He also was a number two pick behind Ben Simmons, and it just really has not worked out. Yes, he's averaging 15, 16 points a game, but when you're picking somebody at number two, you want him to be a franchise-changing player. And Brandon Ingram right now is not a franchise-changing player. He's pretty much coming off the bench for the Lakers. So, and Michael Beasley would just go in just to fill the contract, you know, kind of fit the uh, financials. But that's a better offer, I think, than most teams can offer. You know, and people are wondering, oh, can the Knicks get Bradley Beal? You know, I would love to have Bradley Beal, but the best the Knicks can offer them is Tim Hardaway Jr., Frank Nilakina, and, you know, and Ron Baker. Like, that's their best offer. And I don't see that as a great offer if I'm Washington. Yes, Tim Hardaway Jr. replaces Bradley Beal right away. Yes, you get better defensively with Nilakina. 
Ron Baker's kind of a throw-in, but I just I don't see the Knicks making that kind of a move. I think they're going to continue the rebuild. You know, Hardaway's had a good year. I give him a lot of credit. And Frank, I got to be honest with you, he's just not that good. You know, he's just, he's really, he's not an offensive threat. He's a great defensive player. He's flashy at times with his passing. I think his ceiling right now is probably a 3 and D. But I, I also don't see him playing point guard. He's more like a 2-3, three, 3 and D. And for me, I just, I don't see Frank ever working out in New York. Now, granted, he is 20 years old. He has to learn. And I understand that. But he, he has not played as good as Trey Burke and Emmanuel Moutier have. Now, I'm not saying either one of those two point guards are a part of the future. But Trey Burke and Emmanuel Moutier both have outplayed Frank Milikina at the point guard position. And... What happens when Courtney Lee comes back? You know, then that's going to add another guard to the mix. And you're either going to sit Alonzo Trier or Frank, and you're clearly not picking Alonzo Trier. So the Knicks are just going to have some depth. And Frank Nilakina is going to have to, I think Frank Nilakina should sit out. I think he should be out of the rotation and do a lot of learning. A lot of learning, a lot of shooting in practice. His number will get called eventually. Just, I think when Courtney Lee comes back, if Courtney Lee comes back, Frank Nelikina is the guy I would take out of the rotation. He just, it just hasn't worked out. They should have taken Dennis Smith Jr. or they should have taken Donovan Mitchell over him. And, you know, the, the Knicks picked Frank Nelikina because they thought he was good for the triangle offense. Then they fired Phil Jackson like two weeks after that. And the rest is history. You know, Scott Perry wants to make his imprint on this roster. He wants to bring in his guys. Frank Nilakina is not his guy. He didn't draft Frank Nilakina. So, I don't know how long Frank's going to be here, but I can tell you that he's not going to be, a, he's not a starter. He is a bench player. And if the Knicks get healthy, I don't know if Frank's going to be playing. So, Knicks fans better brace for that. And I know a lot of Knicks fans are saying, oh, Frank's a great defender, we need defense. The kid can't score. He can't put anything in the basket. I mean, he's missing 15-foot jump shots. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, and look at all the great point guards in the NBA. Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. They're all great offensive players. Even the good defensive guys like Patrick Beverly, he's at least a decent shooter. I mean, Frank Nilakina can't hit the bright side of a barn. You know, so I don't really see it working out long-term for Frank. And I want to address one more thing in the NBA, and that's my guy, Carmelo Anthony. Look, I love Melo. I went to Syracuse. So did Melo. You know, that's my guy. You know, I hate seeing him washed up. It just, it really hurts. It hurts me, you know, being a Syracuse alum to see him averaging, you know, 10 points a game coming off the bench playing 16 minutes. So what's the best fit for Melo? Well, I think there's, there's two choices for Melo. It's Miami. Or the Lakers. Because I think if anyone can get the best out of Carmelo, it is LeBron. Miami, I think, is his best chance to have the biggest role. Like, he could, he might be able to start at the power forward position for Miami. They really don't have a four. Their best four is Kelly Olynyk. I'm not really sure he's a starting point power forward. 
So I think his two choices are the Lakers and Miami. Obviously, you have LeBron and D. Wade, respectively. I think his best choice should be retirement. Because you don't want to, if you're Carmelo Anthony, you don't want to be remembered as somebody who bounces from team to team at the end of his career washed up because he wants money. Like, it, it's just not a good look for you. You want to be remembered as a guy that can score buckets in from the mid-range. And, you know, as a Knicks fan, if Carmelo was willing to come off the bench and be a mentor kind of like Dwayne Wade was, kind of do a farewell tour, I would absolutely be okay with it because, one, I'm a little biased, and two, you know, a lot of, a lot of the greats who leave their teams to go to different ones end up signing at the end of their careers with with a team, with the team they started with, like Dwayne Wade did it. He went from Miami, then he went to Chicago, Cleveland, and then went back to Miami. You know, Melo could do, Melo started in Denver. You know, he was pretty good in Denver. Then he asked for a trade, went to the Knicks. Then he went to Oklahoma City, didn't work out. Went to Houston, didn't work out. He should just come back to New York, sign for the rest of the season, and be come off the bench and be a mentor. But Carmelo Anthony seems really stubborn right now. And doesn't seem like he wants to be a part of all that. So, unfortunately for Melo, I, I think this is the end of the road. I'm going to switch gears a little bit to college football. The playoff uh, standings come out tomorrow. Uh, obviously, the game that impacted it the most was Syracuse and Notre Dame. Notre Dame blew out Syracuse 36-3. to You know, Syracuse was just overmatched. You know, it's it's a talent disparity and... You know, Syracuse really is is overrated. They've played a really easy schedule to this point. People were saying, oh, well, they almost beat Clemson. They almost beat Clemson because Clemson's starting quarterback got a concussion in the middle of the second quarter. Otherwise, Clemson would have blown the doors off Syracuse. Syracuse had a very soft schedule, and, you know, I expected Notre Dame to blow them out, and they did. And Notre Dame is a legitimate team. They're a playoff team. There is no question they're going to be one. Uh, they'll probably be the three seed just because Clemson and Alabama have are in tougher conferences and Notre Dame's independent. Um, the fourth team's going to be interesting. I, I still think it's down to Ohio State and Oklahoma. Now that West Virginia got knocked out by Oklahoma State the other night. If Oklahoma beats West Virginia twice, Oklahoma's going to get in. If Ohio State, if Oklahoma, if Oklahoma loses and Ohio State wins out, Ohio State's going to get in. You know, Georgia is going to be interesting as they're playing Alabama in the SEC championship game. The question is, do you take a two-loss SEC team that hasn't won the SEC title over a Big Ten title or a Big 12 title? The answer is no. So, and I think when you match up Ohio State and Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma has the edge because their one loss right now is to Texas. Ohio State's one loss is to Purdue. If Oklahoma were to lose to West Virginia once, Ohio State would be get in. And obviously, the Ohio State-Michigan game plays a big part that Saturday. That's a, that's a huge game. Michigan's going to have to win that game. I'm assuming that Ohio State's going to win that game based on that assumption. So we'll see what happens this weekend in the college football playoff. Also, coaching news, Les Miles, the former LSU coach, was hired by Kansas. Kansas is taking a shot in the dark here with a coach who had a lot of success at LSU. Um, it's going to be very difficult to recruit to Kansas, though, because they're not a football school. They're a basketball school that doesn't have great football facilities. So it's going to be a very difficult situation. And I I think Les Miles, if anyone could do it, it's most likely him. That was, Of any of the coaches available, it was Les Miles. And 
I think Les Miles can get them to a bowl game. I'm not sure they're going to be national championship contenders or New Year's Six Bowl contenders or anything like that. But I think they, I think they could win, you know, seven or eight games, you know, and maybe hit the bottom of the top 25 if everything goes right for Les Miles. But it's going to take time. There is no question it is going to take time for Les Miles to make it work. So now I'm going to end the podcast with a little bit of NHL pretender and contender. So we're 20 games into the season. And obviously, it's been the NHL's gotten off to a great start. You know, there's a lot of teams in the mix. I think a lot of people didn't expect. And so I'm going to do pretender or contender. We're going to start with the East. The uh, with the East, and we're going to start. I'm going to leave the two New York teams for last because I know those are the teams that are the most important, at least for this podcast. So I am going to start with the Buffalo Sabers. I think the Buffalo Sabres are for real. I mean, they're a legitimate contender for a playoff spot. Do I think they're going to be in the top three in their division? No. I still think that's Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Boston. Even with the Bruins injuries that are all going on, they have no Chara, no McAvoy, you know, no Patrice Bergeron. I mean, they have a bunch of injuries. But I like what Phil Housley's done in Buffalo. I mean, Phil Housley was a coach that was hot on the market, took the job last year, you know, the Sabres weren't great. They were the number one pick. They got Rasmus Dahlin. He's looked great. You know, they they bring in Jeff Skinner for basically a, a bunch of nothing. And Jeff Skinner's looked fantastic. You know, the top line of Skinner, Eichel, Pominville has been a revelation. You know, you got Kyle Poso on a $7 million a year contract on the third line. So that's that's pretty good for Buffalo's depth. You know, you brought in a goalie who you didn't know if he was going to be the number one. He's clearly a number one goaltender in Carter Hutton. I think really the question for Buffalo is can they hold on defensively? Offensively, they have enough talent, and I think Carter Hutton's good enough. The question for me is defensively, because right now you got Rasmus Dahlin, who I like, Jake McCabe, and Marco Scandella, who I also like. But Rasmus Ristolainen's really struggled this year. I mean, he's, he's put up points, but defensively he's been a tire fire. Zach Bogosian is bound to get injured. He gets hurt every year. And Casey Nelson, you know, he's nothing exciting. So I'm very curious to see what Buffalo does, especially on defense. But right now, you got to like the way they're playing. They've won five straight games. They were down 2-0 to Minnesota and won 3-2 the other night. I think they're a legitimate contender for a wild card spot. The next team is the Montreal Canadiens. They're a tougher team to deal with because they have a top five goalie in the league in Carey Price, and they're also going to get back Shea Weber. I think Montreal is a team that'll probably just miss the playoffs, but I think they'll be in it to the end. You know, I like I like the Domi Galchenyuk trade. It's worked out so far for both teams. Thomas Tatar has worked out great. You know, they have a rookie rookie center in Jesperi Kokaniemi who's played fairly well. Um, you know, I, I think the concern for me from Montreal is more on the defensive end. You got a lot of young kids, Mike Riley, Noah Juleson. So you, you've got some younger kids, but you also got some veteran guys. Shea Weber, who's going to come back. Jeff Petrie's played well. You know, Jordy Ben, Carl Walsner. So they have a good mix there defensively. And you have a top five goalie in Carey Price. I think, like I said, I think Montreal is going to be in it for a while, but I think eventually they're going to fade slowly. They might be in it to the last game. So I'm going to say they don't make it. Um, so those are really, 
the two teams in the East, other than the two New York teams. I'm going to save them for last after I do the West. So now let's go to the Western Conference, and let's take a look. So the first team for me is, is Vancouver. Now, Vancouver right now is third in the Pacific Division. They are 10-10-2, and, and they've lost four in a row. Now, Brock Besser is injured. That's a tough loss for them. I mean, he's probably he's one of the best snipers in the league. But they got a kid, Elias, P- Elias Patterson, who is special. I mean, this kid is Connor McDavid-esque. He's got a great shot. He's fast. He's just electric offensively. And I, I just I love this kid's game. And Vancouver's going in the right direction. They've got a future goalie in Thatcher Demko. They've got a future number one D in Quinn Hughes. They've got Brock Besser. They've got Elias Pettersson. They've got Bo Horvat. So they've got and they've got some good supporting guys like Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter. And you know, so they've got some good pieces. But I think right now the most concerning thing, at least with the current team, is their defense. You know, right now your top pair D, Alex Edler, is injured. Chris Tanev is, you know, gets hurt a lot. So, it's a little bit alarming for Vancouver right now. Um, I think they're going to fade out eventually because I don't think the goaltending is going to hold up either with Jacob Markstrom and Anders Nilsson. Um, but I like the direction this organization is going. Um, the next team for me is the Dallas Stars. And I think Dallas is for real. I think they're a team that is dangerous offensively. Their top line of Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, and, and Alex Radulov is a, is a great team. Is a great line, excuse me. Um, and I think they really, that trio really gives them an opportunity to score a lot of goals. And... And when you look at the rest of their team, I'm not sold on them offensively. You know, you look at Jason Dickinson, who's had a nice year as a rookie. You've got Jason Spezza, a veteran who's been around a long time. You know, um, Radic Fox is a nice player. Nachuskin came back from Russia. He's been okay. You know, offensively, I just don't think they have a lot of depth. You know, in terms of their defense, Heiskanen is a special player. Klingberg is phenomenal, but he's injured right now. You know, they've also got Asa Lindell, who's a nice player. And they got a good, decent goaltending duo in Ben Bishop and Anton Kadobin. But I'm concerned for this team. I th- Again, I think they're like Montreal. I think they'll be in it to the end. But I think, unfortunately, injuries look like it's they're going to bite. And I just think the lack of depth uh, just up front is not going to be good enough for this team. So those are my pretenders in the West. Now I'm going to get to the two New York teams. We'll start with the Islanders. Look, the Islanders have had a great start to the year. They're 10-7-2. They have a plus-eight goal differential, which is fourth best in the Eastern Conference. I think the, the most surprising thing with the Islanders is how poor their personnel is on defense and in the net and how they're winning. Like their personnel on defense, they do not have a top pair righty. They don't have a top pair lefty. Right now their top pair is Nick Letty and Ryan Pulak. Ryan Pulak's a nice young player, nice power play guy, but he's a second pair defenseman. Nick Letty is at best a second pair defenseman. He was on the third pair when Chicago won the Cup in 2013 and 2015. 
So I don't, I don't see the Islanders lasting. I think eventually they're also going to fade. Grice has been great. Um, obviously, Barzell, Eberle, Anders Lee, Josh Bailey, they've been very good. They're very veteran um, heavy, the Islanders are. A lot of the bottom six guys are signed to long-term deals like Andrew Ladd, Casey Sezikis, gave Clutterbuck a nice little contract, Matt Martin. So, I mean, they've they've got some veteran guys, but I, I just don't see the Islanders lasting. I, I don't think they have enough speed down low, and I think their defensive personnel is just not strong enough. And that brings me to my team, the New York Rangers. The Rangers are 10-8-2. They have 22 points. They're tied for second in the Metro with the Islanders, four points behind Columbus. The Rangers have the best record since Halloween, 7-1-1. And And you got to give Coach David Quinn a lot of credit. I mean, he's dealing with a lot of young players and a lot of guys that are inexperienced, and they're finding ways to win, and a lot of it's because of their goalie. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist has looked outstanding. You know, he's 30, he might be 36 years old, but the guy continues to get it done. You know, defensively in front of him, it hasn't been the prettiest. I mean, Brady Shea was a healthy scratch the other night. It wasn't pretty. You know, nobody wants to see Brady Shea sitting. I mean, he's a future top four defenseman for this team. I I don't think anyone wants to see him sitting. You know, Brendan Smith came in, scored a goal against Florida, thought he had a nice game. Um, How long he's going to remain in the lineup, that remains to be seen. You know, I like the way the rest of the other defensemen played. So I don't expect Brady Shea to play tonight against Dallas. And, you know, in terms of the forward group, they called up Stephen Fogarty today because of the Matt Zuccarello groin injury. I like the call-up. I think he was the best player in Hartford to this point. Um, he's he's going to play on the fourth line. He'll most likely be fourth line center with Cody McLeod. And we'll see if they decide to keep Leas Anderson down there or maybe they take someone like Jesper Faust and put him down there. So I'm curious to see what David Quinn does. If he does move around the lines at all, I don't think he should touch the Kreider line, which is Chris Kreider with Kevin Hayes and Philip Hedl. Hedl's looked great. And I don't think there's a reason to touch VZ's line, which is Jimmy VZ, Brett Howden, and Ryan Strom. Ryan Strom's coming back for his second game after he got traded for Ryan Spooner from the Edmonton Oilers. The top line, I, I could see Leas Anderson getting moved up for Jesper Fast. Other than that, I, I don't really see much movement there. Um, so I'm curious to see what the Rangers do. I, I do think they're pretenders. I do think they're going to fade a little bit. Lundqvist is going to keep them in every single game, but I just think defensively they're not good enough on the back end. It's not really so much up front because I think they can get enough goals right now. I think the problem is defensively the, they turn the puck over quite a bit, and I think it's going to be very difficult to deal with teams like Pittsburgh and Philly when those, and when those teams start to catch fire and Washington. I mean, this next... Really, after tonight's game, the next three games are going to really tell it all. They're playing the Islanders, they're playing Philly, and they're playing Washington. Those are three division games, and they're all important. If the Rangers can go 2-1 and one or 3-0, and oh, I think they might be legit. If, but there's a possibility they could go 0-3, and, and then you know all of a sudden we're going to be talking about trading Kevin Hayes, trading Matt Zuccarello, which I think they should do anyway, regardless of what their record is, because they can cash in on both of them, especially Kevin Hayes. So... We'll see what happens, but I think both New York teams are pretenders. I think they're both playing well right now, but I think eventually they're both going to be out of the playoffs because the division is just too strong with teams like Pittsburgh and Philly and Washington behind them and lurking. I just don't see the Rangers and Islanders um, you know, finishing the year in the playoff picture. But you know, one can hope and one can pray, and you know, hopefully the Rangers and the Islanders make the playoffs. They could be exciting. 
to have them both in um, for the first time in a while. So anyway, that'll that'll wrap up uh, episode six of Straight Up Sports. You guys can find this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify, wherever you want to listen to it. Um, I appreciate the listens. And uh, I'm Andrew Schaefer, and this is Straight Up Sports.